0: been so good to me, you came and found this orphan and you brought me right into your family, oh God, you've been so good. we and now surrender to you you're so good to me na, 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 na. you're so, so good, good to me nana nana na. so good to me our trials to grow us to make us more the child that you have created us to be Thank you that you're never away from us. Thank you that when we turn our back on you, you turn us back around. Thank you, Lord, for your great, great love, for allowing us to share your love with others. In this moment of worship, may we come to you with thanksgiving in our hearts, gratitude for everything and every day. May you bless this offering as only you can, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. With uh Popular Christian author, Max Lucado, who has written a number of books, he pastors a large church in Texas, he also hosts a radio program aired on many Christian stations. In one of his books, he writes, our radio ministry was hosting a radio rally. After my talk, I stayed around to meet the folks who listened to my program. These people had never seen me, but had heard my voice. Presently, a small elderly woman stepped up. and The first thing she said to me was, you don't look like you. <laughs> Excuse me? You don't look like you. Max Lucado is older and his hair is grayer. It's like reading a book. In the lead, you picture in your mind what the lead character looks like and then it's turned into a movie and you go to see the movie and you think, that's not what they look like. They don't meet your expectations. That kind of thing happens all the time for us. We develop pictures on my, in our minds of what we think people are like or should be like, usually based on partial in, or incomplete information. The issue is what happens when someone does fail to live up to your expectation and images of them. What do you do then and how do you treat them? If you put him on a pedestal, the fall can be really hard. And I imagine there were a, a lot of people who had trouble understanding the Apostle Paul because he didn't fit the mold that they had created for him and didn't do the things the way he or they would have expected. It must have driven some of them crazy trying to figure him out. This man who was educated and trained and one of the leaders of the Israelite people. But then when we're faithful to the Lord frequently, we may not fit other people's expectations. Faithfulness is being true to reality as God sees it, not as the world wants it. Imagine being a magistrate in Philippi in Acts 16, trying to understand Paul. He comes to town and incites a riot. You throw him in jail thinking that's going to take care of him and quickly silence him just like it's done with everyone else. But Paul has the audacity not to wallow in self-pity over his circumstances, but he begins singing and leading a praise service right there in the jail cell in the middle of the night, and he keeps it up until it's interrupted by an earthquake and the jail doors fly open. His outward circumstances did not determine his faithfulness. Yours? Do you allow your circumstances to dictate to you and determine what you will or will not do, even when you may know God is saying otherwise? Or imagine being a leader in Jerusalem, perhaps a childhood friend who grew up with Paul. You knew he had been a part of the high priest's inner circle, plotting the destruction of the Christian church, You knew about the papers he was given, giving him authority to go to Damascus to hunt down and arrest every Christian he could find. But then you hear he had to sneak out of Damascus in the middle of the night, being let down in a basket over the wall for fear of his fellow Jews, because he seemed to turn his back on his own people and his responsibilities, and now was preaching the gospel he had been trying to exterminate. He wouldn't let his self-interest and personal desires deter him from following Christ. Do we Do we allow our desires and our comfort to become before our Savior? Or imagine trying to understand him if you're from Lystra. In Acts 14, Paul comes to town and the Lord performs a number of miracles through him and the people of the town rise up and declare him to be a god. And begin to offer sacrifices to him. Most people would bask in the attention and their good fortune. Pride takes over, but not Paul. He knew better of himself and was not one to allow these circumstances to get to his head. Even when the crowd tri- quickly turned against him, and rather than offer him sacrifices, they stone him and drag him out of the city thinking he's dead. Most would quickly leave the area questioning what good they had done, but not Paul, he gets up and goes back into that town because he knew his position in Christ and refused to allow that pride to get to his head and corrupt his faithfulness. What about us? Do we allow our position or our pride to eat away at our faithfulness believing that we're something when we're not? Paul must have driven his adversaries nuts trying to understand him because he didn't fit the normal patterns of his days, or ours for that matter. Worrying about meeting what other people think will not lead to faithfulness. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he began it in the first chapter with the blessings of God He then goes into a discussion about salvation and the unity of the saints, and now as he begins the third chapter of Ephesians, he digresses and speaks a little bit about himself using three terms that express his own self-understanding, which really, I believe, formed part of the basis for his faithfulness as a follower of Christ. The terms you find there are a prisoner, an administrator, and a servant which correspond to his circumstances, his responsibilities, and his position or station in life. really is a key thought. Something we often don't realize is that faithfulness is affected by our perspective on life, how we see our circumstances, how we understand our responsibilities, and how we live out our position. It's like the caterpillar's response in Alice in Wonderland when she complained, three inches is such a wretched height. The caterpillar replies, well, that depends on your perspective. Paul writes, beginning in the third chapter, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our lord in him and through faith in him we may approach god with freedom and confidence i ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory paul writes as a prisoner of the lord jesus christ for the sake of you gentile it's a very telling statement in light of his circumstances and the background of this passage. When Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he was under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial before Caesar. But he doesn't refer to himself as a prisoner of Rome, but a prisoner of Christ. His faithfulness wasn't based on his circumstances, but how he understood his circumstances in light of who he was in Christ. In the book of Acts, it talks about how a severe famine had hit the area of Palestine, and the people of Jerusalem were having a hard time of it. So Paul began a collection among the churches in other areas of the Roman Empire. He and some of his companions took the money that was collected, went to Jerusalem to try to help the people there. But when some Jews who knew him... And his work saw him coming out of the temple with some Gentiles. They assumed that he had shown contempt for the law by taking those Gentiles into areas of the temple which only Jews were allowed to go. So they incited a mob to attack him, which in turn led to his arrest. He was arrested and tried at the instigation of the Jewish leaders, but they couldn't silence his witness because he was not a prisoner of the Jews. He was a prisoner of Christ. His situation was merely an opportunity for him to bear witness to Christ's power. Do we let our circumstances determine our attitude and our actions, or do we let our faith in Christ give meaning to our circumstances, as Paul did? It was the Romans before whom he stood trial. You read the account. He went before Felix and Festus, but they found no charge Against him, but because of pressure from the influential leaders in Jerusalem, they sent Paul in chains on a two thousand mile journey to Rome. Along the way, he faced storms and shipwreck, snakebite, and hunger. At all this, at the hands of the Roman, but they couldn't stop his witness or deter his love for his Lord. He was not a prisoner of Rome; he was a prisoner of Christ. In fact, as he traveled under guard, he continued to encourage the saints and the guards. At each stop along the way, he planted seeds for a new church at Malta to spring up when he was shipwrecked there because of his understanding of who he was, a prisoner of Christ. Four times in the New Testament, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, but he never once refers to himself as a prisoner of Rome. And his circumstances were not a hindrance, but an opportunity, because he knew who he was in Christ. Don't forget, your worth, your identity come from God, not other people and not from the world. Once he arrived at Rome, he was placed under house arrest at his own expense while he awaited trial by Caesar. He waited not for a few weeks, but for two years to stand before Caesar and present his case. He remained guarded by Caesar's troops, but Caesar couldn't intimidate him into silence or make him wallow in self-pity about how unfair life was because he was only trying to help. Instead, his message went out to the people of Rome. The guards assigned to him heard that message. He proceeded to write the letters to the Ephesians, the Colossians, the Philippians, to Philemon, First and Second Timothy, and Titus from a cell, or his home cell, in Rome. Because he didn't consider himself a prisoner of Caesar, but of Christ. So in spite of his arrest in Jerusalem his imprisonment by the Romans, his upcoming trial before Caesar, he was a prisoner not of man but of God. And he was able, therefore, to look beyond his circumstances to see where God was, what God was doing. He was faithful. It's the same attitude which a man by the name of Justin Martyr had in the first century as he stood defending himself against those who would eventually take him, his life because he was a believer in Christ, he said simply, you can kill me, but you cannot harm me. His circumstances didn't hinder his witness, but enhanced it. They were not in control. God is. And that's important for us to grasp. Don't let your circumstances define you, because Jesus Christ does. If you let circumstances then you literally become a prisoner to them. And you become overwhelmed by life, by your moods, by your attitudes, by actions, determined by what's happening around you rather than God who is within you. Your circumstances will start controlling the direction of your life, which makes faithfulness to the Lord impossible. As one person said, we need to realize what the caterpillar calls the end of the world, the creator calls a butterfly. A key to faithfulness is looking beyond our circumstances, not letting them define you, but our relationship with the Lord define them. We remain faithful when we have that confidence that God, not man, not circumstances, is in control. Because in the end, none of us face anything God doesn't already know about. The second thing he says about himself relates to his faithfulness is how he understood his responsibility. In relation to his circumstances, he was a prisoner of Christ. In relation to his responsibilities, he's merely merely an administrator, literally a steward of the things of God, because that's what the word means. A steward is someone who has been entrusted with the things of someone else. In this case, Paul says, "I've been entrusted with the things of God." If you want to remain faithful, you have to begin to see your life as something to care for, not to possess. If you try to possess this, possess it, then you're always going to be trying to hold on to get ahead without really appreciating what it is you do have. Because at best, what we have is temporary anyway. It doesn't last beyond the grave. So much of contemporary understanding and expression of Christianity and salvation can be self-centered. Rather than seeing ourselves entrusted by God with his grace, we treat grace as something our own. So once we're saved, we don't see a need to witness to others about the grace and the glory of God and tell them about Christ Because it's optional. We don't see a need to tithe in recognition that all we have is a gift from God. We don't see a need to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength because we know God's going to save us anyway. We think in terms of our forgiveness, our eternity, our lives, rather than seeing sin as God does, as something to be avoided, we excuse and say, God's going to forgive me anyway. The whole burden of salvation is placed on God's shoulders. You know, at a previous church we were at, I followed a pastor who had became so concerned about turning people off or insulting them with the gospel. He began teaching that literally we have no right to evangelize, no right to tell anyone about Christ unless they ask us first. So the church withdrew into this cocoon of false security, thinking all God cared for was their attendance and their money, and keeping the church doors open, so when someone was ready to come and ask them, they would be ready to tell. But look what Paul says, because it applies to all of us who have come to see Him, to whom He's revealed himself. We are administrators of God's grace that was given not just to us, but to given to us for others. An administrator of God's grace for you," Paul says, because with salvation comes responsibility. That's really a key to faithfulness also. Until we see our responsibility as caretakers, we're not going to be true to the one who saves us. Life itself is a gift from God, and we are entrusted with it. With our years, with our gifts, with our resources. That was the point of Jesus' parable of the unfaithful servant, whose master left him on a trip and Left him in charge. He thought nothing of his master's wishes, and he took advantage of the situation. We've been entrusted not with our finances to care for, with our health to care for, with our relationships to care for, but with the gospel of Jesus Christ to care for. We, like Paul, have been entrusted with the mystery of the gospel, a mystery made known by revelation. Therefore, it needs to be shared. The gospel of Christ may be in his book, God's word. It may be found in his church. It may be even found in your life. But unless those given a trust explain it and open up that mystery to others to understand it, it remains a mystery. We can tend to see the gospel as ours in our life, but it's something entrusted to us for others also. Faithfulness to the Lord will come as we begin to see ourselves as one who have been entrusted with the things of God. In Jude, verse 3, it says, "...contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints." Paul told the Corinthians, "...we have been entrusted with the secret things of God, and those given a trust must be proved faithful." And to the Thessalonians, he said, "...we speak as men approved of God to be entrusted with the gospel." That's how we need to see our lives and the things of God. It should be liberating to our faithfulness because as administrators, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And faithfulness is seen by a life of gratitude and appreciation for what God has done, caring for what he's given us. It's not about striving and working to prove our worth and getting angry and frustrated or depressed because things don't go our way. Stewardship sees it merely as something we have for a time to care for. And so when our circumstances change, we're still okay. God's still there, it's still in control, He still loves us. A good and faithful servant doesn't have to hold on because it's not about them. In relation to his circumstances, Paul says he's a prisoner in relationship to his responsibility, he's a steward in connection with his position. He says he's a servant of Christ. It's one of his favorite descriptions of himself. A servant of God. Commissioned by God for his work. As servants, the direction of our lives and our situations is up to the master. Faithfulness says we develop a servant's heart. Because a servant can let go of trying to always be in control. Because if you find... You'll find if you do, you'll be much happier because you're able to accept life as a gift, not as a possession. How we see our position is a key to faithfulness. If you think you're in control of life and master of your own fate, you're going to spend your life trying to stay on top and keep things the way you want them, and frustrated when they don't go your way. And what happens when things get out of control? which happens from time to time for all of us? How does that drive to be in control affect how you treat others, how you spend your time and your resources, you relate to your spouses and your children? Realizing that your servants allows you to ease up and let go rather than have to hold on. Jesus redefined greatness as service, not as power. He calls it here in Paul's writings a gift of God's grace, not a burden. You don't have to worry about what others think or what life owes you because you're merely serving God anyway. As servants, it's the master who sets that purpose. And so, as the disciples learned, our role is not to argue about who's the greatest or pursue desires and happiness. It's to carry out the work God assigns us. We'll not be faithful to Him so long as we're consumed with our rights, our responsibilities, our position. But understanding those things frees us up to faithfulness. You know, a surgeon, an engineer, and a politician were debating which one of their professions was the best, and the discussion inevitably turned to which one was the oldest. The surgeon said, Well, Eve was made from one of Adam's ribs, and that, of course, was a surgical procedure. Obviously, surgery is the oldest profession. The engineer countered with, Yes, but before that, order was created out of chaos, and that most certainly was an engineering job. The politician merely smiled and then said, Aha, and just who do you think created the chaos? (laughs) It's a matter of perspective. How you see things. Faithfulness is how you see your life in perspective. Your circumstances, your responsibilities, your position. Stop letting your circumstances define you. Christ does. You belong to him. Begin to see life as something to care for, not possess, because he's the creator. Develop a servant's heart. You're not in control anyway. God is. Let me close with some Amish sayings that speak to a faithful life. I am only one, but I am still someone. I cannot do everything, but I can still do something. Just because I cannot do everything does not give me the right to do nothing. Remember, when you talk, you only repeat what you already know, but if you listen, you may learn something. Let us pray, not for lighter burdens, but for stronger backs. Start each day with a fresh beginning as if this whole world was made anew. We are known by our actual deeds and not what we boast we can do. A person who lives for himself never knows the real joys of life. And never be afraid to do what is right, even if all the others are doing what is wrong. Sayings on faithfulness from the Amish. Will you join me in prayer? Father, help us to be faithful. To live lives not consumed with our circumstances, but realize you are in control of even those. To recognize that we merely are entrusted with life, to be trusted servants, to care for it. And that we are servants at heart, God. Help us to be, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you all please stand as we sing our hymn of commitment? And it is an invitation time. If there is a commitment you need to make to the Lord, we invite you to come to pray with you here at the front as we sing together.